You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Welcome to Strange Familiars. How are you tonight, Allison? I'm well. How was your weekend? <laughs> it was pretty good. Good pretty, to hear. Pretty, pretty good. Good to hear. Hey, just a reminder, everybody, those Strange Familiars High Strangeness Tour shirts. Got a long sleeve t-shirt with sleeve prints and a front and back print as well as a zipper hoodie with a front breast print, back print, and sleeve prints. The pre-orders for those are up at strangefamiliars.com. We are taking pre-orders until February 27th. We are placing the order on February 28th. This is not leap year. You do not have an extra day. <laughs> Please make sure to get your orders in if you want any kind of extended size. If you want a hoodie, especially, we're going to order really just a few hoodies beyond what is pre-ordered. So we'll have a few up on Etsy, but there's not going to be many because they're kind of expensive. T-shirts in normal sizes, small through maybe 2X, we're going to order a few for Etsy. But really, if you want to make sure you get one, or if you're an extended size and you want to make sure you get one in your size... You definitely want to pre-order. Again, those are the Strange Familiars High Strangeness Tour shirts. You can look at the design and pre-order at strangefamiliars.com. Well, as we're leading up to episode 300, The Witch Cloud, numerically leading up to it, (laughs) 
we decided to do a bunch of shows about Gettysburg. And in my research regarding something completely different, a haunted bridge which isn't one of the two haunted bridges we talk about in the Witch Cloud, in my research for that, I turned up a little statement about a hermit that lived along Rock Creek in Gettysburg. We often talk about how our research, one thing will lead to another. And this is the perfect example of that. I did not go looking for this hermit. This hermit came looking for us through our research. You know I have a hierarchy of hermits, Allison. <laughs> like uh, tramps and hobos are low down on the list, and then... I like a proper hermit. Nothing against tramps and hobos. We'll be hearing about some tramps in this story. Yeah. But I like a proper hermit. But no, even amongst the proper hermits, I have my favorites. Yeah, and you don't particularly like the people that were paid to be hermits. Like, they're not at the top, right? Not really. No, I do like John Smith, who was uh, the hermit of Irving Castle mm-hmm. outside of Athol there in Massachusetts. He was a paid hermit in the UK, mm-hmm. but he came over here and he transitioned to amateur. Yeah. You like a tragic backstory, and then I'll just like, I'm going to the woods forever. I like a little bit of that. I don't like, there's a couple hermits I call phonies, who apparently were, <laughs> were, were very rich and then kind of did the hermit thing as oh, well. like the kids that hang out in the square and like pretend to be, they're they're like yeah, they're, pretend to be like poor punks and they're just like, yeah their parents drop them off and uh, mm-hmm. each day and they they get out of a Mercedes and then go beg for change poverty cosplay <laughs> those aren't my favorite yeah but this guy this hermit from Gettysburg rocketed to the top of my hermits list <laughs> I think William Woodruff yeah he's really high up there for me. He was kind of, I think he was the first hermit we talked about. Mm-hmm. I think he was the first hermit we talked about. He's always going to be, if not at the top, you know, right near the top because he was the first one for us. And he's literally what kind of got me into this. You uh, bought me a, a photo postcard with William Woodruff on it. And I just didn't think about it for months and picked it out of a pile of things one day and looked at it and said, oh, he's he's kind of neat. I wonder if I can find him in the newspaper. And looked him up, and then, you know, I started reading his story, and it's like, oh, wow, this guy's really interesting. And that got me on my hermit kick. So he'll always be high up there, but... Here we have, like, a a hermit that's really close by, too. We can visit him in spirit. Exactly. This guy, he's super interesting. There's a good twist to his story, and he's local. There's another local hermit, if you remember, down in Gwinston. We went to look for evidence... But he was living there like in the 1820s or something. Yeah, that really kind of predates any any ability to really, really find too much on someone. Yeah, exactly. And there's not a lot of public land or any, I don't think, down there that we could really That's near Muddy peruse. Creek Forks and kind of close to where, to Delta, where you give your talk about all the happenings there, right? Yep, yep. We might do more on the Gwinston Hermit someday if we can find more on them, but there's just, there's not a lot there. They talk about... A railroad bridge and being able to see from the railroad bridge some walls and stuff he built through the woods. Well, we found the railroad bridge, but we were not able to see any of these stone walls. They didn't say which side of the railroad tracks to look at. One side is pretty much a bunch of houses now. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the other side of the creek. And if it was that side, I'm sure everything he built got torn down. It would be really difficult for that to be sustained 200 years later. Yeah, yeah. Well, this hermit that we're talking about today, he died 113 years ago, and we did find some evidence of where he was staying. So this is the first you know, local hermit that I could really dig into 
and kind of go to where he was. We'll hear some more about that coming up. The Wolf Hill Hermit. He had initials. G.F.G.E. Thomas. George Frederick G.E. Thomas. I'm not sure what the GE stands Clearly for. Clearly General Electric. <laughs> Trust fund kid. Founder of GE. <laughs> he was a veteran of the German army who came to America in 1872. They think he was born around 1847. Sometimes he's called George Thomas. Sometimes he's called Frederick Thomas. Sometimes he's called Herr Thomas. And sometimes he was called by his four initials, GFGE Thomas. We think he came to America possibly through Baltimore. GFGE Thomas became a naturalized U.S. citizen in Baltimore in 1883. This date is given in, in a newspaper article. However, it might not be correct, as we found a record of a Frederick Thomas being naturalized in Maryland in 1876. Basically, anything in the census has a, a good 15-year window of accuracy, I found. Mm, okay. These newspaper articles tend to, sometimes they're accurate, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're close to accurate. And as we get into the articles about Herr Thomas, one article will say one thing, another article will say another. Sometimes they give different information. You kind of have to sort out which got it right or which you think got it right. A couple of the articles we'll be reading about him note that his wife died, and that's why he decided to become a hermit. That's a check mark, right? On in hermit bingo. Yeah, and the lost love. Usually, I figure it's a hermit trope. You know, some of these guys. The whole thing with William Woodruff, if you remember back to the William of the Fiery Flowers episode, he was supposed to have had this girlfriend and you know unrequited love, and he took a vow of silence and went off to the woods and you know became a hermit. And we don't know if that's true or not, or if just some newspaper reporter just made up that story because it was a good story. You know, we don't know with him. And when I kind of thought the same thing. I kept reading like, oh, his wife died and he went to become a hermit. However, we did find notice of a marriage of a G. Frederick G.E. Thomas. It's got to be him. Yeah, the extra initials are helpful. Yeah. To a Mary Leadham in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania in 1889. And we found their marriage license. He was older when he got married for the first time. She had already been married and had children, right? I think we saw that, yeah. Yeah. I know she had been married. So here's the marriage license. I don't know if there's any information worth reading on that. We actually have a copy of his marriage license. Yeah, he was, it's either 43 or 45 when he was married for the first time. He has a beautiful signature, by the way. Yeah, his penmanship is very nice. So it's not someone who... Um, Didn't know how to read or write or Yeah, anything. exactly. So you found this marriage license, Allison. I'd been researching this guy while you were researching last week's episode, The Ghoul of Gettysburg. I was researching this, and I'd been through everything I thought I could find on the guy. And you're kind of going over my notes and, and looking some other things up, and all of a sudden you say, oh, I found his marriage license. How did that happen? Like how I'm, – I'm just – I kind of want to give an insight into the research process as we go along here a little bit. I don't know. 
<laughs> it was just dumb luck, really. I think it was dumb luck, or I think we had found the notice in the paper for. Did we find the notice in the paper? There is a notice married? in the paper, and yep. then I think I added a wife with the first name Mary, which doesn't really narrow anything down in that time period. But I think that was the key. What appears they lived in Harrisburg. I'm guessing not in a cave. No, I don't think so. How or when Mary Thomas died, we're not sure. She doesn't have GFGE, you know, as, uh, she doesn't have four initials. So um, a Mary Thomas is a lot more common. So how or when Mary Thomas died, we're not sure. There's a note of a Mary Ann Thomas dying in Harrisburg in April of 1891, but we are unsure if this is the same Mary Thomas that was married to Hare Thomas. However, by the early 1890s, Thomas bought a small strip of land on Wolf Hill, just outside of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. There he lived in a cave, or some called it a cave-like hole in the ground, before he built a rude shack, and eventually he built a more proper cabin, cutting all of the logs and doing all of the work himself, including digging a well. I'm imagining that alone series where they just send people out with basically no supplies and they just kind of start from scratch. Is that mm-hmm. what we're talking about here? Well, I mean... Except for you own the land? Yeah, yeah. I, so if he had enough money to, that, to own the land, presumably he would have had enough money to just either buy a little house or he wouldn't have had to live in a cave? I mean, we don't know. Maybe he spent every cent he had just buying the land and he mm-hmm. had to do the rest himself. It's hard to know. However, George Frederick Thomas, the hermit, lived on Wolf Hill for the rest of his life. Some articles said he had a pet chicken. It's a daring move on Wolf Hill. (laughs) Others said he had a dog that would pull his cart to town. Pull his cart? Mm -hmm. He had a little cart. And if you look up, because I was trying to find what the carts looked like, because I found a piece of iron uh, in the area where his cabin was. I wanted to see if it could have been part of his cart. It was too new to be his. It was just a piece of iron that came off of farm equipment or something later on. But I was looking at carts from the late 1800s. And if you look them up, dog carts will come up. It was mm-hmm. a you know, semi-regular thing, I guess, for people to have a, a dog that pulled a little cart. And I guess if you went to town, you had a little cart full of wares or you were going shopping or something, you had a little dog cart. And That's uh, an adorable concept. This would be a good time to uh, do a perfect puppy. <laughs> <laughs> Yet another article said he had a pet cat. Oh, so many of the hermits have cats. Yeah. Gentle souls. He would become known as an excellent archer, perhaps the best in Pennsylvania. So uh, how close to the actual like Gettysburg battlefield is this? Well, some of the articles said he lived on a remote part of the battlefield. So Wolf Hill was in the Battle of Gettysburg. Again, with these articles, I wasn't sure what they meant by living on the battlefield. Did they just mean he lived close? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these articles, they'll say, for instance, he lived in a cave. Well, is a cave a pile of rocks that he made temporarily, you know, as a shelter? Mm-hmm. Is a cave a hole in the ground? Is it like a naturally occurring... Is it a, yeah, a rock outcropping or is it a cave, an actual cave? Yeah, and for people who haven't had the chance to visit Gettysburg... I think that's one of the more unusual parts of that terrain is that there are so many places, kind of like Devil's Den, mm-hmm. where there are these big formations of rocks that are just kind of smushed next to each other. They're just boulders. Just boulders that kind of just out crop of up out yeah. of nowhere and make like little mounds. And they would be really easy to kind of 
go into one of those and hide out if you needed a quick shelter, I think. Yeah, yeah. In fact, there were a couple candidates that we looked at that were just kind of overhangs, you know, that Mm -hmm. if you needed to, you could get in there and get out of the weather for a short period of time, you know. So we didn't know what they meant by a cave, and I didn't know exactly what they meant by living on the battlefield. But generally, he becomes this kind of known character around Gettysburg. He's written about it in the newspaper. People kind of know him. He does odd jobs for people around town. The Adams County Almshouse records indicate that he was admitted on January 29th, 1909. Some articles suggest he was at the almshouse because he presented an agitated condition. He only stayed for five days. He was discharged February 3rd, 1909 and returned to his cabin. So we're about to read some articles about him. Before we read these articles, I want to say there's quite the strange familiar's twist to this story, as we shall see. But let's go ahead and read some articles and then we'll comment more as we go along. The Adams County Independent from Littlestown, Pennsylvania, published a brief article on the Wolf Hill Hermit on December 1st, 1901. Living in a remote part of the battlefield of Gettysburg is an old man, 60 years of age, who has lived entirely alone for many years. His name is Frederick Thomas, and ever since the death of his wife many years ago, he has made his abode as far from the habitation of his fellow man as possible, and in the wildest places he can find. About six years ago, he bought a small strip of woodland in the midst of a large grove about three miles from this place. His first home was a cave in the ground and small hut, which he built from the trees which he cut on his land. But about three years ago, with an incredible amount of labor and entirely unassisted, he succeeded in building himself a one-story cabin of logs, which he cut and trimmed himself. After completing his cabin, he dug a well. When seen by a correspondent a few days ago, he was sitting in his cabin with his pet, a little chicken, the only other living thing near. On being asked why he lives alone, he said, I'm never alone. I always have my God, and besides, I love the quiet. So we have the mention of his wife and the death of his wife. We have the mention of these three different abodes he lived in, cave, kind of a rude shack, and then his cabin, his more permanent cabin. A well. And Looks the like mention, he made a well. And the mention of the well. Yes. So keep those in mind as we go on. And his here. pet chicken. One of at least three pets we know he had. A little over a year later, the hermit Thomas is recognized for his expertise in archery. The most primitive hunter, as well as the most remarkable marksman in Pennsylvania, is, it has just been learned, Frederick Thomas, a hermit who lives on the Gettysburg battlefield. Thomas shoots birds and rabbits with bow and arrow. So expert has he become, he seldom misses a shot. He subsists almost entirely upon game killed in this manner. Because of the death of his wife, the only person on earth he cared for, Thomas deserted the world. And about ten years ago, he came to this place and bought a small home plot of woodland. His first home was a hole in the ground and a small cave hut. Three years ago, entirely unassisted, Thomas succeeded in building himself a one-story cabin of logs. I think this is uh, interesting because you told me that as a kid, your your grandfather was such a great shot because they grew up in West Virginia really poor and the family didn't eat if he didn't catch something. He was the oldest of, I think, 12 kids? Yeah, some insane amount of children. A, a lot of kids, yeah. <laughs> and when he was 12 years old, they put a shotgun in his hand. This is the story and said, you know, go get dinner if you don't. We don't eat tonight. And uh, supposedly he was an excellent shot because of that. The article about him being an archer was actually carried by a lot of different newspapers throughout the region. I wonder if he didn't learn that skill when he was in the military or... 
just yeah. growing up in Germany? I don't know. I don't know if they would have taught archery in the German military. I don't know when or where he picked up that skill. Arrow heads would have been available, but you would have had to make your own arrow shafts, which, interestingly enough, while we were there, John found a plant that he said you would use to make arrow shafts. Oh, isn't that handy? Yeah. So that was in the area. Archery hadn't made a big revival yet for hunters. Yeah, I mean, we're talking like, what, 30 years post-Civil War, basically? And, you know, as we'll hear going forward, he did have some firearms, but uh, apparently he was an expert marksman with a bow. So very interesting guy. Certainly for a self-made man, the arrows make more sense. Less expensive than the upkeep on rifles or bullets. Because as you're shooting small game, you're not shooting them with a pointed arrow. You usually have a, a blunt tip and you're stunning them mm-hmm. or, or sometimes killing them with a blunt tip. So you probably easier to reuse that arrow, I would think, as opposed to a firearm. And you mm-hmm. get one shot and then that's done. So I couldn't find any more about the hermit until February of 1909 when he's found dead in his cabin. On February 22nd, 1909, the Gettysburg Times announced the hermit's suicide. In this article, we come across the first reference to hypnotism in the hermit story. This is from the Gettysburg Times, February 22, 1909. Suicide on Wolf's Hill. George E. Thomas, hermit of Wolf's Hill, afraid of hypnotist and enemy, hangs himself to rafters and dies alone. The victim of fear of an imaginary enemy, G.F.G.E. Thomas, better known as Old Man Thomas, was found dead Sunday morning, hanging from the rafters at his home on Wolf's Hill near town. The dead body was discovered Sunday morning by Bernard Hoffman and Jacob Raffensperger. These men were taking a walk in the neighborhood of his home and thought they would go over and talk with him a while. They found the door bolted and looked in the windows of the lower room. Then they tried to see into the attic, which formed the upper story of the house. They were horrified to see his body almost in a sitting posture, suspended from the rafters by a thin strap tied around his neck. Thomas's feet were on the floor, and he was within a few inches of sitting on the floor. He was fully clothed and had on his felt boots, which he always wore in the winter. County authorities were notified once by the men who found the man, and Stuart Foster Beard of the county home went out shortly after dinner Sunday to get the body. He had to force in the front door. After gaining entrance, he hurried to the upper floor, thinking that there might still be some life in Thomas, The condition of the body showed, however, that he had been dead for several days. He was last seen alive at the home of Oscar Deerdorf in Straben Township Tuesday night. The body was taken to the county home to be prepared for burial. No inquest was held. The hermit was in constant dread during the past few weeks of a foe who, he claimed, was hypnotizing him, and Thomas besought numerous Gettysburg friends to help him get rid of the enemy who he said was putting his life in danger. One day last week he came into Gettysburg found Constable Wilson and told him that the man who was tormenting him was surrounded on Wolf's Hill and that Mr. Wilson should go out and get him. Knowing that the old man's mind was deranged, he told him he would come as soon as he could get a team. On the hermit's person was found a book in which he had written, Have I not right to protect myself from the one lone enemy trying to make a living without work? The idea that someone was trying to harm him did not take possession of the little man, who was a familiar figure on the streets of Gettysburg, until a short while ago. Until then, his mind was clear, and he was an interesting character. He was a county charge, having lived at the almshouse for a while, 
but lately lived in his cabin on Wolf's Hill, being on the outdoor relief. Old Man Thomas was a native of Germany, having come to the United States about 37 years ago. He was 62 years of age at the time of his death. He had long resided in this neighborhood and was often seen in town. He was short of stature, with a sandy beard and mustache, and always wore high boots, leather in summer and felt in winter. He frequently pulled a wagon after him. He was a man of some intelligence and was a great reader. In his home were found a number of firearms, some ammunition, a few articles of furniture, and various other belongings. On his person were found the sum of $2.45, the book in which he had written about the one lone enemy, some religious literature, and several pieces of cardboard on which were printed In Hoc Signo Vincus. He owned property in which he lived and left a will bequeathing all he owned to the county, thus ensuring him a proper burial. Marks on his body showed that he had struggled during his dying moments, but his position would have allowed him to free himself. The strap with which he hanged himself was less than an inch in width. Old Man Thomas will be missed here. He did work for a number of parties in town, making garden and doing odd tasks. He was an interesting talker, having served in the German army and having had many unusual experiences. In hoc signo vincus is Latin for in this sign you shall conquer, or in this sign you shall prevail, depending on the translation. And that is based on Constantine's vision before a very decisive battle was given a vision of a cross in the sky and that phrase in Latin, in this sign you shall conquer. And the fact that they are finding this on several pieces of cardboard around his cabin. Protection symbols, right? Exactly. It just screams pow out to me. It really does. And while I didn't find the phrase in the Long Lost Friend or similar books, I looked in the Sixth and Seventh Books of Moses. I looked in Egyptian Secrets. Those three are the general big ones for powwow. That doesn't really mean anything because there's lots of people who did powwow with no books and the information would be passed down from person to person or they would have their own charms and so forth. It is very much the kind of charm which a powwow doctor would employ. The fact that they're saying it's written on pieces of cardboard and found around his mm -hmm. place. I asked Brother Richard about the phrase... And he had this to say, Since the time of Constantine, it's been used as a form of exorcism and a way of repelling curses, the evil eye, demonic activity, etc. The sign is the cross, but in the Cairo Greek form. Uh, you've seen this. It looks like a P, almost like with X's. I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh. over it. And that indicates the cross, but also the first two initials of Christos, which is Christ in Greek. It has definitely been used in many recognized blessings and Christian folk remedy magic since then, usually with the cross being drawn over the affected area placed as a ward against evil. So so he's sort of holed up in his safe space. With charms, perhaps. With charms. Yeah, doing charms. Um, some magical thinkers, magical scholars, have connected the phrase to the magical Seder square, which absolutely does appear in the Long Lost Friend. Very important. Oh, I know that. Thing. Seder, tenant, opera. Yes, is that it? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's a protection charm, which absolutely does appear in The Long Lost Friend. You can also use it for wordle. <laughs> <laughs> in hoax signo vincus also appears in the diagram of the cosmic rose by German alchemist Heinrich Kunrath. Oh. And Strange Familiar's patron also noted on Discord that Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa has a seal in his three books of occult philosophy, book three, chapter three, 
That's from about 1533 or so, which shows the Cairo symbol surrounded by the words in hoc vincus in this conquer. For what it's worth, both Kunrath and Agrippa were German, as was Herr Thomas. So could he have brought some occult knowledge with him from Germany? We cannot know, but it really seems like he was doing powwow. On February 24th, 1909, the Gettysburg Star and Sentinel printed this article. George Frederick Thomas, the hermit, takes his own life. George Frederick Thomas, the German hermit, who had his abode on Wolf's Hill for a number of years, committed suicide by hanging himself in his house about one half mile south of the Bonneville Road. The body was discovered suspended from the ceiling of his house by Bernard Hoffman, Jacob Raffensperger, and John Rubenstein about 12 o'clock. Messieurs Hoffman and Raffensperger were taking a stroll on the hill when they and Mr. Rubenstein were informed that he had been to Thomas's house but was unable to make himself heard and that the home was locked on the inside. Thinking that he might be ill and helpless, the three men went to the house, and after failing to gain admittance, Mr. Hoffman succeeded in reaching the second-story window and was startled to see the lifeless body of the hermit hanging as above noted. Messrs. Hoffman and Raffensperger notified District Attorney Neely, who deemed an inquest unnecessary, and notified Steward Beard of the county house. The remains were taken to the home and buried in the county burying lot on Monday. From the appearance of the body, Thomas had been dead for several days. He was last seen on Tuesday. It is said that Mr. Thomas was the victim of fear of an imaginary enemy who he claimed was hypnotizing him and putting his life in danger. This evidently preyed on his mind and is supposed to have been the cause of his rash act. He was a German by birth and came to this country about 40 years ago. On his person were found the sum of $2.45, the book in which he had written about the one lone enemy, some religious literature, and several pieces of cardboard on which were printed in hoc signo vincus. He owned the property in which he lived and left a will bequeathing all he owned to the county, thus ensuring him a proper burial. On the same day, the Gettysburg compiler printed the following article, which gives additional information and a different spin to the situation. Thomas, Wolf Hill Hermit, ends his life in attic of his hut by hanging himself, had become mentally deranged recently, imagining himself persecuted. Thomas the Hermit, in the loneliness of his hut on Wolf Hill, ended his life last week by hanging himself from a rafter with a strap. The gruesome discovery was made by Jacob Raffensperger and Bernard Hoffman. They came to his place and, finding the door locked, went around his house, looking in all the windows, and finally saw the body hanging in the attic. They notified the authorities, and Sunday afternoon, Foster Beard, steward of the almshouse, went to the hut of Thomas the Hermit and had to force open the door to gain entrance. He found the body in a cramped position, with feet touching the floor. He cut down the body. The indications were that he had been dead several days, as putrefaction had begun. Thomas the Hermit had lived many years on Wolf Hill, living a quiet life, disturbing no one, and telling little about himself. Of late, he has been growing more and more loquacious, and apparently daffy. <laughs> he complained that neighbor boys had been annoying him, making confusion, and that they would travel around his house, peer into his windows, and make noises. He made the assertion that he knew who they were, and if it wasn't stopped, he would put a spell on them and declare that he was able to hypnotize them. He wept bitterly some weeks ago over the loss of his cat, which he said had been killed by his persecutors, and that the cat had been his companion, the only live thing about his house, and he was distressed over the loss. Some years ago, he had a dog, which he would harness to a small wagon and make the trip to town, to and from his hut. 
he finally decided to go to the county home, and after being there some days during January, longed for his lonely Wolf Hill hut, and being promised outdoor relief, went back to his hermit life. Thomas the Hermit, or GFGE Thomas, was born in Germany, and according to the papers found in his house, was about 62 years of age. He had come to this country about 30 years ago, being naturalized in Baltimore in 1883, and soon after found his way to Wolf Hill in this county, where he has since lived. There are a number of stories of how he came to live the hermit life, but it is not likely the complete story of his life will ever be known. One of the stories is that he possessed wealth at one time, and that the loss of his money and friends made a hermit of him. He was a man of some intelligence, and would at times talk interestingly of life in the German army, but told very little of his own past life. When in a talkative move, he could quote scripture at great length. The body was taken to the county home on Sunday by Stuart Beard, and on Monday all his belongings were removed there. The steward found on his person the sum of $2.45, and being told that he likely had more money Upon examination of his vest, he found sewn into the lining in the corner of the vest $5. Some years ago, he bought off P.L. Houck a small piece of land on Wolf Hill and erected the small hut in which he lived. He made a will some time ago, giving all he had to the county in order to provide burial for himself. So notice in that article, he was the hypnotist, not the victim. It also noted that he was going to put a spell on his tormentors which I think is more evidence that he was possibly a powwow or folk magician of some sort. And we also get some more details about his supposed persecutors. Because it's strange familiars, I have to note that things running around your house, knocking on it and looking in the windows, very strange thing, and also you know accompanies other strangeness, but may or may not have been the neighbor kids. You know, this could be mental illness. This could be something else. At this point, you know, he was obviously disturbed, whether he was disturbed by his neighbors or disturbed by his own mind, say. Mm-hmm. Or some combination thereof. Exactly. Yeah, we can't say. Can't imagine that uh, someone living in that capacity wouldn't be the object of a certain amount of ridicule, especially by children. Yeah. By February 26, 1909, the news had made it down to Emmitsburg, Maryland. This is a short article from the Emmitsburg Weekly Chronicle. G.F.G.E. Thomas of Wolf Hill, known as the Hermit, was found on Sunday morning hanging to a rafter in his cabin by Jacob Raffensperger and Bernard Hoffman. Mr. Thomas was a native of Germany coming to this country many years ago. He was an eccentric gentleman, preferring the solitude of his home in the wilds of Wolf Hill to a more thickly populated community. His home was a rough cabin, which he erected from scraps of boards and tin, and notwithstanding this was noted for its immaculate cleanliness. Freddie was always cordial to visitors, and the gentlemen who found his lifeless body were going to his home to have a chat. They found all doors and windows securely fastened on the inside, so they procured a ladder and ascended to the second-story window, where they were surprised to see the body in an almost sitting posture. A thin strap, which had evidently strangled him to death, was about his neck. District Attorney Neely, who was notified, deemed an inquest unnecessary, and the body was removed to the county home by Stuart Foster Beard. He was last seen alive on Tuesday evening, Several notes were found indicating that he had been in constant dread of some unknown enemy. This is attributed as the cause of his self-destruction. Whether his enemy was real or imagined will remain a mystery, as his secret will be buried with him. That Foster Beard we would find in some other articles and information on him at one point selling some firearms and so forth. And we were like, who was this guy? Why did he end up with this 
firearms and stuff, but he evidently worked for the county home. And probably disposed of any property to pay off past debts, I assume. Yeah, and... and uh, you don't get out of the almshouse for free. <laughs> to pay for his burial, uh, supposedly. Also, on February 26, 1909, the Gettysburg Times had news of Thomas's burial. The body of Frederick Thomas, the hermit suicide, was buried in Evergreen Cemetery Thursday morning at 10 o'clock. Reverend W.W. Hartman conducted the services. So here we have conflicting information. The other article you read said he was buried at the county cemetery, would have been the Old Alms Cemetery. Potter's Field, basically. This article and another note that he was buried in Evergreen Cemetery. As does his death certificate, right? I believe so. Find a grave, findagrave.com. So it's a good source if you're looking for dead people. <laughs> find a grave indicates that he was buried in the Old Alms Cemetery. We did find his death certificate. It notes that he was a white male, date of birth, don't know, <laughs> age about 65 years, and it has single married or divorced, birthplace, name of father, birthplace of father, maiden name of mother, birthplace of mother, occupation. Across all of that were just written, don't know, one big don't know. And who's the informant? Because that's usually the person that helps to fill that out. Foster Beard. Oh, so how would he know? The guy that just received him at the almshouse, right? Yeah. Says, medical certification of death, February 21st, 1909. I hereby certify that I attend the deceased from, I saw the dead body on February 21st. Cause of death, hanging, uh, in parentheses it says suicide, H period S. Does that mean his self? I don't know. Yeah. Signed by Hartsman, physician of County Almshouse, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Place of burial, Evergreen Cemetery, says on this. And Undertaker is H.B. Bender of Gettysburg. So here we have different information. Where was he buried? Was he buried in the Olm Cemetery? Was he buried at Evergreen Cemetery? I'd like to note here that Tim took me over to Gettysburg, and when people say, why isn't Allison ever in any of the on-site episodes? It's because I remain on the cutting room floor. <laughs> Tim gave me a needle, and then he sent me out into basically – a two-square-mile haystack and said, go find this guy. <laughs> well, Shockingly, we didn't find him. It was a very cold and windy day, as many of these days have been. And it's, it's interesting that they also follow the week that he died. Yeah. And this will probably air the exact day that some of these articles were in the newspaper. We looked for him, and we did not find him. And that's why... There's not much from that footage. Uh, you know, it's just kind of us walking around the cemetery, not finding anything. I do have an email into Evergreen Cemetery, and it is my hope that they can tell us where he's buried and if he has a marker. The almshouse records themselves, we do have the almshouse records. And they have the date of his admission, as I said before, and his release. And they note in the almshouse records that he was buried in Evergreen Cemetery. Again, so it's buried Evergreen Cemetery. So most everything points to him being buried in an Evergreen Cemetery. Which is the big civilian cemetery near the National Cemetery. Right by the National Cemetery on Cemetery Hill there in Gettysburg. Which I hadn't um, – we hadn't been there in quite a while actually. I forgot how many of the names there uh, correspond to people within the battle. I, oh, I, yeah, yeah. I found a lot of people that just – their names were familiar on March 10th, 1909, the Gettysburg Compiler printed an article concerning Thomas's will. The will of Wolf Hill Hermit. G.F.G.E. Thomas, the Wolf Hill's hermit who killed himself recently, left a will which has been probated. 
The will was written by himself and is without witness. It states at opening, Will, mate by myself, at the 24th day of December, 1905. And then it goes on to state that the poorhouse will have this property. This body of mine shall rest in the grave here at Gettysburg and not sending it to the dissection room. And as God has given me time to live, so let me live. Then he names three neighbors to whom his property cannot be sold and that no matter to what persons those names cannot buy it. So if we could find his will, which is another needle in the haystack search, we might know the names of the neighbors that were bothering him because I'm thinking those were the people mm-hmm. he named in the will. It's curious that he was well aware of the instances of impoverished people not being properly buried but ending up in the dissection room. Mm. Yeah. So that is the end of Herr Thomas's story? No. No, it's not. Two years later, almost two years to the date from his death, February 4th, 1911, the Adams County News published the following article. Wolf Hill Fire, a Mystery. The burning of the Thomas Hermitage on Sunday night remains unexplained. Theory of incendiarism is advanced by people of vicinity. The real cause of the fire that was seen by many of our town people on Sunday night has aroused much speculation of thought and seems as yet to be clothed in a veil of mystery. It will be recalled that several years ago, Herr Thomas, better known as the Hermit of Wolf Hill, owned a little property just beyond Rock Creek on the west slope of Wolf Hill. Mr. Thomas was a frequent visitor in Gettysburg and was often seen on our streets with his little two-wheeled cart drawn by his faithful dog, gathering rags and gumshoes which he marketed and by this means provided sufficient capital to meet his scanty requirements. On Sundays, Mr. Thomas received many visitors at his hermitage and delighted in talking over his possession of the estate he had acquired by hard labor. It consisted of about a half acre of ground and the hermitage. About a year ago, the hermit died, leaving a will by which he devised his estate to the county. The property was sold and remained unoccupied for some time, Then it was leased by John Hart, who occupied it in intervals up until the time it was burned. Since the death of the hermit, some of the people living in the neighborhood have reported strange happenings about the old place. The tramps, who have for years frequented their rendezvous along Rock Creek near McAllister's Mill, took up quarters at the hermitage, but it did not last long. They are said to have heard funny noises and, after several strange experiences, vacated the place. Some of the Wolf Hill inhabitants report nightly visits of the place by a specter, supposed to be the disembodied spirit of the hermit. Many stories are told about the old place, but no one seems to know the real cause of the fire. One thing is certain, it burned, and there was no one in the place when it burned. All that can be recorded of the disaster might be a little lowly hermitage it was, down in a dale, hard by a forest side. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A hermit. Spells, hypnotism, strange happenings, funny noises around his abandoned cabin, and a mysterious fire. I had to go find it. (laughs) Or at least try. If there was anything left at all, this was a needle in a haystack search. But the papers gave me a starting point. Wolf Hill, across Rock Creek from town. The articles noted that he lived on the battlefield. But did he really, or was it just somewhere close? The fire, or some sign of the fire, would have been able to be seen from town. Either smoke, Mm -hmm. or maybe reflections on the clouds, or something. Uh, Remember, there was a lot less light pollution back then, so it would have been easier to see something like that. So the first thing to do is to look at modern maps of Wolf Hill. And initially I'm looking at this and I thought, I'm going to have to do a dangerous creek crossing from the battlefield to get into the woods at Wolf Hill. But then I found an obscure and seldom visited part of the battlefield called Neal Avenue. It's not a road when they call it an avenue. It's not a road. It's just a, a moan section between stone walls within the woods. It's on Wolf Hill. Websites say it is a rather rough hike to get to. Would you say that's accurate? Not by strange familiar standards, but your average tourist ain't going to go here. Yeah, because everything else is pretty accessible. They are not going to go here. There's a lot of paved trails. Yeah, this, this is... <laughs> There'd be no reason to go there, right? There Are there any it, monuments? There are there? monuments there. There are absolutely monuments there. And once you get to the part, it looks like other parts of the battlefield. But getting there, it's not an easy hike. It's not. I'd be curious. Uh, this is one avenue. I don't think we delved into the, in this, but I wondered what kind of actual fighting or deaths happened along this area. It's given on the monuments, and I read them on the on-site location. Oh, I wasn't yeah. related to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this isn't a bad hike by strange familiar standards. Um, usually, I don't know how Chad finds these these hikes that are uphill both ways. I don't know how he manages to do that. <laughs> this is a downhill hike into a creek valley and then back up the hill. You kind of make a U. You walk down to Rock Creek and make a U up. There's no trespassing signs everywhere, but the websites I read said that's the only way to get in to the area. So I don't know what to tell people. I would say that the the Moan, M-O-W-N, the Moan Avenue mm-hmm. is probably National Park Service It is, property. and it's marked as such. It's, it's marked. As long as you stay on that, I would think you'd be within your rights. Yeah, you have to go through this path. And I, you know, like I said, there's no trespassing signs. If you're worried about that, I don't know how to tell you to get there. But um, in any case, we went. <laughs> so um, with nebulous uh, authority in tow. <laughs> <laughs> so after I, you know, looked at modern maps of the area, the next thing to do was try to find an old map of the area. A lot of these old maps will show dwellings, and some of them even have the names of the property owners. They'll have them mm-hmm. like written there. Very useful. And the problem was I could only find maps before 1870 and after 1911. So this is outside the window of the time the hermit would have been there. Mm-hmm. But there was a record of who he bought it from, right? There was, and I just realized that I was, I was reading it, and that would have helped. But <laughs> finally, after like looking and looking and looking, I located a map of the battlefield from 1896, which would have been about the time they were making it a park, right? Yeah, I think it's 1895 is the official start date, so, something so, around there. Right, so this probably would have been drawn up right around that time. To give to visitors. 
Uh, this looks more like a survey map. Oh, okay. The homes are marked on there, but not with names. They're just kind of squares. Mm-hmm. And I found on that what I believe would be a good candidate for the location of the Hermit Thomas's home. It was across the creek west of the town of Gettysburg on Wolf Hill. The old map showed a tiny square, just a tiny, tiny square unlabeled. It was smaller than other dwellings marked on the map. So I sent an image of the 1896 map to John, and being the clever person he is, he overlaid that on the modern map, matching Rock Creek and some other things on the mm-hmm. map as best he could. And we saw the tiny square was pretty near Neal Avenue. So on February 12th, 2022, about 113 years after the hermit's death, 111 years after the cabin burned, John and I made our way to Wolf Hill in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, for a needle in a haystack search for any sign of the cabin. I think we're down, we go down this way. I think. So we're pursuing um, a, a hermit's hut or, or the remains thereof or cabin or, or something but it's on a place called Wolf Hill in Gettysburg also on Wolf Hill is supposed to be the hardest part of the battlefield to get to it's called Neal Avenue so uh, kind of killing two birds with one stone as far as that goes John's with me today hey guys and uh, we'll see what we see There was a foundation right as we were coming down the trail. So there's a private trail, I guess, or a public trail, rather, in between private property that leads to this Neal Avenue. And there, there is a foundation right at the start. And John said, well, maybe that's it. That would be that would be a huge letdown if that ends up. <laughs> I love that. Can you access that map? Yeah. On well, your, which, that, well, that blue map, basically. That you sent that overlay. Yeah. Okay. It's so like. I left the paper map in the car. The flap saddle. Where was the thing on this map that you felt like? So hard to see right now. Yeah. That. Okay, that. Yeah, that square. Gotcha. The tiny little speck there, right there. Yeah. Okay. That's the only thing that resembles a structure. Anywhere near where I think this thing actually works. Yeah, I mean, the one article says it's like pretty rough, pretty rough going. Chad was all excited to do a creek crossing. Yeah, we're gonna do a creek crossing to get in there. But now I found another one. There's a uh, a mill down here along the creek. Well, remnants of a mill. Yeah. That was a underground railroad site. That's on private property, but they do have a place that manages tours for it. 
I asked Allison if she could use her Underground Railroad connection to get us a private tour. we're on the trail, so to speak. Well, it's hard to say. If we go to here, so theoretically, three separate maps going here. We kind of got to follow straight. Okay, well then that makes that makes sense. Yeah. And then we'd be basically hanging the left. Yeah, now do we go left here or do we go down further? It seems like we should be going down further, but... Yeah. They said there would be basically trespassing signs on either side of the trail. Yeah. But the trail was okay to follow. That makes sense. I hear the creek. Yeah. Here's the National Park Service boundary, so we're right. We're good. that across there is the, the dump where they dump the uh, like highway materials and stuff. That's great. And I think that mill is down this way. Uh, just walk to the creek and, and look sure. that direction. So this is Rock Creek. Callister Mill would have been along the creek that way. And that's a, uh, again, it's an underground railroad site. So they were hiding escaped enslaved people, formerly enslaved people, I suppose, if they escaped. They were hiding them under the actual mill wheel. That place. Uh, I love paranormal stories, but man, underground railroad stuff is talk about brave super impressive yeah yeah you think about my slight anxiety over potentially trespassing versus right what they must have been feeling sure yeah you know i'm gonna get yelled at they were gonna get um either killed or re-enslaved right right and even the people helping them could be yeah. answer to the future slave act. So much turkey tail. God. Is that take a bunch of that for cheese my Oh it's still that's still good? Yeah, so that's in its prime. Oh cool. Yeah. to the blue map. Yeah, so where we are, 
stuff over here. Recalibrate. Okay. So if you remember where we are, it's kind of straight down. Mm -hmm. And if we go back here, um, kind of straight across, and then the blue map. I mean, theoretically, we should be real close to it. Yeah. Straight across. Now, the only question is, is it slightly down this way or slightly up that way? My read was that it was slightly down, down, down this bit. way, I thought, as far as, like, looking at your overlay. Yeah. I don't know. If you think about it this way, so if there's that dots right there, if we go straight across, it's, like, slightly down from, like, the... I guess the lateral, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where over here, if we go straight across, we're down here more. Let's go to the... Well, you probably wouldn't have put it, like, I wouldn't have put it right up against the creek. I would have put it yeah. up a little bit. Like, it's so hard to tell. I feel like we're in spinning distance on it. Yeah. But I wouldn't have put, like, it's, for flooding, it doesn't make sense to put it right along. No, definitely not. Why I brought you? What's the out of the ordinary or what? Supposedly he dug a well too, so there might be a sign of that. He had a cart, so I'm guessing there was a wide enough path for him to bring his cart to town. The boulders aren't going to move. No. The other thing is, when it burnt, they saw the flames or the light from town. Well, we're not high enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering maybe up there. Yeah. But I want to go a little bit further here. Too, just... I mean, in your opinion, how lasting are the marks that humans leave on the woods? In other words, I mean, if they're if they're using stone foundation. I mean, there's a pretty pretty good chance we'll be good for something, but it's also entirely possible that depending on how it was built, the back could have been covered by because what, what year were we talking that he had this? He died in 1909 and it burnt in 1911. Okay, so we're talking over 100 years. Yeah. If the structure burnt and all that was left was the stone aspect, assuming there was some stone to it, there may be nothing left. Right. A hundred years of leaf litter building soil on top of that stone could significantly bury it. Plus, a hundred years gives plenty of time for those early successional trees to grow back and fill in the space where it was. So if it had been more recently, I'd be looking for like where are their trees missing? But that's not going to be the case. If I came out here, I'd camp in that spot right there. Look at right? that. Right? Yeah, it's awesome. 
That's a nice little boulder hole. All right, well, let's go back up around because we'll be on parkland up there. Yeah. And we can kind of look, look down from up there, I guess. I guess when you asked me what his name was, I was really trying to just like put him into my head and kind of picture living in this space. He was a German immigrant. He was in the German army. He came through Baltimore in the 1870s. Almost immediately. That's deer. Deer tracks. Yeah, deer and canine or something. Yeah, some small fox maybe. Um, immediately came up here, fought an acre, acre and a half of this land and built his cabin and they called him Herr Thomas. And uh, there's an article about him before he died that mentioned that he was the best marksman in Pennsylvania with a bow and arrow. Wow. And he hunted birds and Rabbits and squirrels with a bow and arrow. If you have no end of that, it's crazy. Yeah, so. One thing I forgot to look up was did they, did they make manufactured arrows in the late 1800s, early 1900s, or was he. Still, he bow, you're also, yeah, was he making his own? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. One thing to be the best archer in Pennsylvania with modern equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Quite another. If you're making your own arrows. Well, I've, I've made my arrows. I know. And um, I actually find I'm a better shot with those than I am with modern. Really? Yeah. Huh. Why is that? Well, so. Like, I, for me, there's a woo factor there. There is a woo factor. Okay. This is going to sound a little nuts, but um, in a lot of ways, when you shoot an arrow, you're shooting with your mind. Right. And I don't do a whole lot of like meticulous aiming. It's more about feel. Mm -hmm. And so the main difference between a traditionally made arrow and a modern arrow is that, and you can look at this if you look at modern bows, the way that, that it's offset. Um, you even see some bows that are sort of cut out for the arrow. Yeah, yeah. Because a, a naturally made arrow, when you put it on your bow, when you pull back, the bow, the arrow actually bends around the bow, whereas a modern arrow will not bend around. It's too rigid, mm -hmm. and that's why your manufactured arrow uh, bows are often made with a cutout so that the bow can go straight because it won't bend. Right, right. But your naturally made arrows literally curve as it goes around the bow and then go straight. Yeah, it's interesting. No, I think I, I honestly feel like there's a woo factor there because you made it, and the the best archers will tell you that it's an extension of your arm. A hundred percent. Yeah. And you're 100%. just you're just carrying your arm essentially. Yeah. Outward. And, and I like, feel like I, if you when make I, something, when I shoot a bow, when I shoot a, a modern bow, there's like a little sight for you right. to aim. With your traditionally made, but you don't have that, right? And so I'm not even. I'm. I'm almost like visualizing hitting the target. Yeah. And you hit it. Well, that's what the. I think the best archers would tell you. That's how to do it. Essentially, yeah. like yeah. And I'm not by any stretch like an expert. Right. Right. Bow maker or archer, but um, 
when, when there was an archery team in high school that I tried out for it. I had my own bow. I basically just wanted to see how I stacked up against them. I didn't join the team. Mm-hmm. But I went out there and I said, aren't you going to wear your glasses? I don't need my glasses. <laughs> I can see I can see the outer ring of the bullseye. Yeah. I know it's a, the, what I want to hit is in the middle of that ring. That's all I need to know. And uh, I did very well. <laughs> they said, why, why, why are you not joining the archery team? Well, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> but... But yeah, so I, I didn't I didn't need to see necessarily exactly what I was aiming for. It was more like just knowing. Like I know where I know where I'm aiming. I mean I think it's entirely possible he was making his own arrows out here. I mean I don't know really much about what his lifestyle would have been, whether he would have been traveling to town so to speak on a regular basis. Or... I mean apparently he did. He was known in town. Okay. Like I said, as Herr Thomas and he had a cart. He would bring the town. I think he did odd jobs for people here and there. So why would he have a hair Thomas? What was that name? It was like uh, the German hair. Like Mr. Hair, hair Thomas. Oh, yeah. I, got, I got you. I was picturing him with like crazy hair. <laughs> and, uh... No. They said he was a short fella, sandy colored hair. Well, here we are in Neil Adam. I've not found a... Uh, See, this seems like if it were me. Yeah. And more up here. Everywhere we were hiking down there is pretty much floodplain. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Probably can't go too far here, but we can go a little bit too. too, too. The blue map from 1896 is year they they basically made the battlefield a national park I think this little area up here is interesting I just want to so that structure spot on that map that's not confirmed that's not confirmed it's just a dot on the map there are other houses on the map and that one looks like a smaller dot of the house So I had a, a drawing of him from one article, and the door of the house, and it does look like it was up against some boulders. Okay. And it would make sense to use that natural, use the landscape as a Yeah, it give you a back wall, right? Yeah, start wind off. protection. And they, well, they said first he lived in a cave. Huh. Then, then they said he he built a, uh, a kind of a rude shack, and then they said he, he kind of expanded it. So, there are some outcroppings that. This certainly seems like an ideal spot. Up higher than the creek, but you're not way up on the hill where you're going to get all that wind. A little bit of protection on this layer. Yeah. Lots of privet growing here. Explain. Which is one of our uh, 
good bow making uh, arrow woods. Oh, okay. Ah, I was going to ask. Okay. All right. So, trees this size. Yeah. Could have come up. Yeah. In the interim. Yeah, that's um, trying to see the leaves up there. My bark identification is not what it should be. But um, I mean, black locust is a fast-growing one. I don't think this is a black locust, but um, they grow here, and they can get this big in 75 years. So yeah, I would say that tree's under 100 years old for sure, so... Okay, all Probably right. was not growing when he was here. Right. I don't know if your eyes are any better than mine, but is that a mylar balloon across the creek there, hanging in the tree, just for to note? Uh, it certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be blue. Yeah, I mean, I, especially this sort of flat area, I feel like it's a good candidate, but yeah. I mean... I mean, obviously, we have no way to say for sure, but yeah. it feels right. It feels like a good possibility. Yeah, and if you were, like I said, if you were just going to use the, the boulders as the back wall of your cabin. I mean, if I'm going to build a cabin on a hillside like this, I want protection from wind and protection from water. And this spot would certainly give us both. Boulders don't move, right? Not. So they're going to. Without a severe uh, instrument. Yeah, so these formations you know more or less would have been there yeah it's possible they could have been more or less exposed at right that time. right yeah but um and some cracking can occur but generally speaking these would have been here So in this next section, we'd been there, we'd looked around, we kind of made some guesses. You know, maybe it was here, maybe I would have built a cabin here, maybe I would have built a cabin there, but we hadn't really found anything definite. And I was kind of resigned to that. You know, it's a, it's a needle in a haystack search. What's going to be left after over 100 years? And a fire. And a fire. You can hear me in this recording. I say out loud to the hermit, if you'd like to make an appearance or give us an EVP, now is the time. Immediately, you hear the wind pick up. And immediately after that, I look over and I say, what's that? Doesn't that impression in the ground look interesting? And we find the foundation. This segment is not edited. It happens that quickly. You can hear it all in this segment. Was he doing any kind of, um, I know he was hunting. What was he doing for other types of food? Was he trading with the townspeople? Was he growing I, I think food? so, because they said he was a regular fixture in town and that he did odd jobs for people sometimes. Okay. So I would guess that he supplemented. They did say he had a, a pet chicken in one of the articles. Now, whether that means he raised chickens or he was had the chicken for eggs or... Yeah. But they did, he did have a chicken it seems if not more than one maybe you have your pet chicken and then your 
your food chickens. Didn't seem like he was a vegetarian. He was he was yeah. hunting. I like to think he was doing some uh, harvesting of wild foods and making use of the acorns here and. I mean things that were probably more common knowledge back then than they are now. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I guess the the only stumbling block with that would be how different is that sort of stuff here from Germany. Right. And would he have had a a local teacher to show him like you can eat this, you can't eat th- that, or or. Yeah, I'm sure there are some equivalents. Um, I'm sure he was being German. He was probably definitely mushrooming. Um, folks that I've met through foraging have that have been German, or, or I know a Kazakhstan couple, and they just super comfortable with mushrooms more so than we are over here. Is that a cultural thing? It's definitely just, a cultural just, thing. We were kind of raised to be afraid of them, and right? Right. Many other cultures were not, and so they. Um, seem to have a, na- a, a more natural willingness or ability to, to find edibles and be safe about it. Well, let's go look at Neal Avenue. Any other ideas pop up? How was that? Turkey tail? No, that's a little shelf mushroom. Okay. Some sort of shelf mushroom. And that could be a birch polypore. Oh, yeah, there's some more. Yeah, I think this is probably a dead birch tree. Birch polypore. This has some fire making uses, but not um, edible. Mm-hmm. How do you tell the difference? Um, well, we're going to have the turkey tails, I'll show you. Okay. Size for one thing, you don't often see a turkey tail for this, that's all. So I'm trying to find his will. He had a will. Okay. Towards the end of his life, he kept showing up in town and telling the cops that somebody was trying to hypnotize him. And his will apparently named specific neighbors that were not to get his property. Interesting. He left his property to the county, I think. But he, he specifically said, like, these neighbors are not to get my property. I want to find the will because I'm thinking that might be a clue as to who he thought was trying to hypnotize him. Sure. If he specifically said yeah. they, these are. Now, was this mental illness? But if we find one of his neighbors was into powwow or something... Yeah. And then we have another story. You know. There's a database of Adams County wills online, but there's no discernible order to them. Wow. Yeah. So. No search function. Nope, no search function. It's just <laughs> photographs of each individual page. Thousands and thousands and thousands of pages. Question of whether you feel lucky. So right now we're on the, what is, they, according to the website, is the hardest to find and most difficult to reach part of the National Battlefield in Gettysburg. It's called Neal Avenue. There's apparently one way to get to it. 
We found it. And that, that path we just took. It certainly seems like an entrance that you have to know about. Yeah, yeah. But the mon I mean, there's monuments here, and you know, this is yeah. certainly battlefield stuff. Yeah, really nice stone wall. Quite a hill on the other side there. I'm thinking if they saw it from town, they'd have to see the glow, probably, not the actual fire. Yeah, or do you, could it could it be possible that they met, they saw the smoke tower? That's possible. Rather than seeing the actual flames? I thought they said they saw some, because I, I thought it was the lights, though. They said okay. something about the, the strange lights on Wolf Hill where the hermit's house burning or something like that. Mm. I'll have to reread the article. But it could have been the smoke. But again, up higher here, gets it even. I mean, would you say we're still on the west of the creek, on the east side of Wolf Hill, essentially? Yeah, it's still it's still going up a little ways. Okay, so I mean, it's still potential for being somewhere out on either yeah, side of this. Yeah, still going uphill here. And the higher we get, the the more chance there is that I'm seeing light or reflection or whatever. I mean, you also said that it was located within the battlefield, which makes me wonder if he was more sort of an open area as opposed to in the woodland itself. Unless they were counting the battle, the woodland as part of the battlefield as well. Yeah, I mean, they weren't super specific. You know, I, I, I'm guessing they would say battlefield as a general marker, you yeah. know, if he was somewhere around it. Just across Rock Creek on Wolf Hill, this is uh, how they put it. We're curious why it's called Wolf Hill and how he got that name. I think just people named Wolf. Oh, I we're, we're residents here. Okay. Okay. So is this, since this is, ah, there's no trespasses on there, okay. I wonder why they left this open now. Seems, seems like an invitation. It does. <laughs> well, let's walk on up there. We might, I think we can go in there. You know, if we can find the other yeah, there's no one around. Sorry. I thought it was the battlefield. It seemed like it would be an honest hey. Super peaceful up here. Oh, yeah. It's the Army of the Potomac, 6th Corps, 2nd Division, 3rd Brigade, Brigade General Thomas H. Neal, thereby giving us the name of Neal Avenue. 7th Maine, I don't know what COS is, 6. I don't know. COS, 43rd Division, 49th, 77th New York, 61st Pennsylvania Infantry. July 2nd, arrived after a march of 33 miles from Manchester, Maryland. Hey, I grew up near there. That's where I went to church as a kid. And about 6 p.m., was detached from the Corps and ordered by Major General G.G. Meade to hold Powers Hill. Later, was ordered by Major General H.W. Slocum to support the front line, but at midnight was ordered to Powers Hill. July 3rd, the brigade, by order of Major General Slocum, crossed Rock Creek and took position on the extreme right of the Army 
making connection with the cavalry pickets and encountered and checked the advancing Confederate sharpshooters and skirmishers and remained until the close of the battle. Casualties killed one, one officer, one man wounded, 11 men captured or missing, two men, total 15. Doesn't seem too bad considering. Considering the other, yeah, yeah. damages. This was not a horrible place to be. I never know how much of these rock walls are extant from the battle and how many are put here to kind of bring to mind. Mm -hmm. So when they found him, when he killed himself, he was locked in his cabin and they said they, they couldn't open any of the doors or windows. And they had to go through a second-story window. Get to him, so it was big enough to have wow, at least at least a little little attic or something up there. You know, it could have been oh. a crawl space, but. How old was he? Sixty-two. Huh. This does not sound very old anymore. No, it does not. And with which manner did he end his life? He hanged himself. Extreme right of industry of the army. Mustered in August 1861, re-enlisted December 1863 to February 1864. Mustered out June 28, 1865. Total enrollment, 1987. 1987. Total killed and mortally wounded, is that 18 or 10? 18. 18 officers, 214 enlisted men. Wounded 28 officers, 470 enlisted men. Huh, no officers died of disease. How about that? Interesting. 103 enlisted men died of disease. <laughs> That's very interesting. Yeah. It's also interesting. It says mustard in August 1861. I'm surprised they didn't use ketchup. <laughs> so finding things like this is a needle in a haystack search, always. Yeah. And come to these places with hopes of finding it but uh, not necessarily any thought that we actually will we will probably be leaving today with out any definite answers but that was kind of to be expected but we know we're in the right area yeah there's there's only so many places it could have been to be on on the side of wolf hill across rock creek from from town why someone back in 1911 would have not predicted that a podcaster in 2022 would be semi-obsessed with hermits and would need to find the location of this <laughs> hermitage and, and have not marked it for me is I'm just I'm offended but so it's a severe lack of forethought right It is kind of a fascinating thing, though, to think that he's out here living alone, 
presumably because he wants to sort of separate himself from people. And to think that a hundred years after he's gone, there's still people talking about him and yeah. caring enough to find his story and want to find his place and be in his face. Yeah, well, like I said, it's the strange familiars preventing the second death of hermits. Uh, you know the concept of the second yeah. death. Yeah. yeah, big time. My review of Neal Avenue, it's worth the price of admission. It's a cool little place. The hike isn't that bad. They warn you on the website that it's this like treacherous hike. It's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean you want to have good shoes on, but beyond that, yeah, uh, it's it's not that difficult. It's not that long, but it's a cool sp- part of the battlefield that evidently most people don't ever see. Yeah. So somebody's mowing it. Yeah, someone is maintaining it. And... Not maintaining the trail, but the trail isn't part of the battlefield. Well, even exactly. the trail has, um, you can see where trees have come down and they've been cut. Yeah. So it's getting somewhat new thing. All right, Hermit, last chance to show up. They, they said the neighbor said they saw his ghost wandering around. Wow. Hermit's ghost. So if he wants to make make himself known or if there's any any EVPs you'd like to leave us before we... Move on to try to find your grave. We're listening. See that hole in the ground over there? Yeah. That big hole? I do see that. Think if you get it? I don't see any no trespassing signs right here. That's not a bad candidate, place wise. Right. February is the time to do this, too. Absolutely. Before everything grows up. Especially a 50 degree February day. Oh, yeah. Fascinating rectangular shaped hole. Yeah. This is a, I mean, I don't know why it would be dug in necessarily, but. Yeah, this was excavated. It is a very interesting candidate. Did you have any kind of sense of size, like width and length of this? No. I mean, he wouldn't need a lot. Right. This is a perfect, like, single-spaced dwelling for someone. This is a really good candidate right here. Let me take a picture of this. Once again, in this next segment, we're standing at the foundation. And once again, I said out loud, if we could find a well we'd know we were in the right place. I look over to my left immediately, and I said, what's that there? And we find the well. 
This segment isn't edited either. It happened that quickly. We found uh, just the, off the, the battlefield a really good candidate for perhaps the, the, the placement of, of his cabin. It's a very defined rectangular square indentation in the ground. Uh, it's not where a tree, you know, it's not like a tree fell over no, and left is, that this hole. This is definitely man-made. Yeah. A long time ago, too, because it looks like it was dug at some point fairly long enough ago that it's begun to fill in with debris and other things. Right. The other thing, too, is when I was originally saying I'd look for, like, a lack of trees, um, if his place was within the battlefield area, this looks like it was pretty bare. Yeah. I mean, we also have stone walls entirely around it, and um, none of the trees I'm seeing are old enough that they would have been here back then. They've grown since. Wow. So the only other thing, they said he dug a well. Um, I'm sure the water table's pretty high here. You wouldn't have to dig too, too far. No, definitely not. But what about this right here? Look at that. Look at that. There we go. Wow, this is amazing. That's a well. That is 100% a well. We found it. We found oh, it. The well's even got water in it. You could use this well today. We found, we, we found it. The well's giving it away. I also think it was really fascinating that we were over here about to leave, and you said, anything you want to say to us? And right after that, we both sort of turned this way, and we're like, hey, look at that. Yeah, I think this is it. I think this is... This is a well. I mean... And... I put my well next to my cabin, right? Like... 100%. That was you, Herr Thomas. Thank you for the guidance. I mean, wow. I am... Yep. I think we found <laughs> it. I, I, I'm very confident. That... I, I, it feels perfect. It yeah. feels totally right. Um, just knowing that... Uh... And it, like I said, it's a little bit higher, so more chance that, that if there was flames or something they, yeah. from town... They could... Yeah, it's not very... Like I was saying before, I, I went it down a little bit so you had protection from the wind. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly where we are. Outstanding. I am very pleased by this. Very pleased. Okay, we're we're within the national park right here. Yeah. Yeah. So we're good where we are. Dude, this is that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were just about to give up, and uh, I'm very, very certain that we found it. Absolutely. The well just 
that was what I needed to see. So we, yeah, John and I are, are very confident we found where the hermit lived. It's just off of Neal Avenue. There's a well right there. As noted, he, they said he dug his own well. Built his own cabin too, they said. Do the whole thing by hand. It's so amazing. Literally, how often does that, like literally we were just about to walk away and look over and that indentation over there looks interesting. Wow. All right. <laughs> if we had come during the summer, we would have been so grown up, we wouldn't even see yeah. it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So here's a rough hewn stone, yeah. but it's definitely squared off. Okay. Yeah. A lot of it, like, like you see here, a lot of it's got a couple inches of dirt on top of it. But if you wanted to, you could dig out that entire foundation. Okay. And so you can see parts of it out the There's absolutely a foundation here. Yeah. Yeah, I bet we'll have. Yeah, look at this. There's stone right there. I'm happy. I'm happy, yeah. John. <laughs> this is cool. So we took pictures of the well, we took pictures of the foundation. These are probably foundation rocks right here that are caving in over time. Yeah, I see that. Yep. All around. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to stress once again how amazing it is that we found this foundation at all, at all, much less in the way we found it than the well. That was a very strange familiar's moment for me and, and it made me very happy that we were able to, you know, this research panned out and we were checking these boxes. You know, here's a foundation, here's a well, the location seemed right, we found it. We found where the hermit's cabin was. After that, we went to the Old Alm Cemetery to look for the hermit's grave. So we didn't find any marker at the Old Alm Cemetery. That doesn't mean it wasn't there. Uh, he could have had no marker. There's missing markers. You can tell there's some markers that are just gone that were there. But because we found so many references of him being buried in Evergreen Cemetery, my money's on Evergreen Cemetery at this point. Especially because his, like, his will was dedicated to the idea that he would have a proper burial. Right. Yeah, all that property was just given to the county in exchange for a proper burial. So maybe even has a small marker. I don't know. Hopefully Evergreen Cemetery will get back to us and, and we will be able to find the location of his burial. A few days later, Chad and I returned to the area. We went a little later in the afternoon so we could experience dusk on Wolf Hill. In this first clip, Chad finds a spring that's kind of walled up and, and kind of bridged over, possibly the work of the hermit. It's a road that leads from the area of his cabin down to the creek. There used to be civilian bridges that crossed Rock Creek not too far from there. So it's possible if he just had a little cart pulled by his dog, he could make his way down along the creek and cross at the civilian bridges. And then make his way into Gettysburg then, proper. Yeah, then make his way in, into Gettysburg proper. Next, we went up to 
the foundation. And of course, Chad was saying the whole time there, there should be some evidence of a fire. If the place burned down, there should be some evidence of, of the fire. There's a couple pieces of wood that, that look black around there, but that wasn't good enough for Chad. <laughs> he digs into the leaf cover and finds charcoal there, which satisfies Chad that indeed the place burnt down. The soil is dead black there, and mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's kind of brown over here, and if you dig in the foundation, it's just black, black. Pretty sure that's charcoal. We are back on Wolf Hill, just outside of the town of Gettysburg. Making our way to the hermit's uh, house, what's left of it, the, the ruins of the hermit's house. Chad's with me this time. Against my will. <laughs> it's a very windy February day. What's that? The wind is just going to whip through yeah. here. There's the boundary. See that? We're on the park land right here. Park boundary right there. Oh, okay. What's that? Which way do we go? We need to go this way. Is that Wolf Hill itself? No, we're, we're, we're headed up Wolf Hill. That's just the other side of the creek there. I don't know if it's still considered part of Wolf Hill. The creek divides it, or... Yeah, I didn't know if like, the battlefield was there, or like if the uh, edge of town was there, or what. The battlefield is there. Okay. That is... You can look on a map, you can see where they come in from, from the road. It's just a highway. A place for like a highway cruise to come in. He lived. He actually lived in three different places. Uh, here, he had it. What they called a, a cave in the ground. Well, that could be anywhere here. Yeah. It also might not have been a cave. I got to tie my shoes. Might have been a. Yeah, that's where we're headed. Could have been a temporary stone enclosure he made for himself that they're calling a cave. Could have been a hole in the ground. Hey Sam, I wonder if he did this. Well, he had a cart he was taking to town. You see that? That That's... That's pretty... Yeah. He had a, a a small dog dog cart and a dog that would carry it, take his cart to town. And that him. would gather water too, which he didn't need because he had the well. But well, he dug the well later. In my impression. So you would wall it in like that, so it would catch the water off the springs. Yeah, yeah, he he could have done that. Certainly. I believe it. They said he bought was an acre and a half. Down there, where the rocks and all that go over that little it's spring. 
Very well could have been. I, I think you're right. It looked too, too jammed up. Well, that's what you would do. You could yeah, yeah. Kick it out and you wall it in so it didn't. Um, so it didn't uh, flow out. So this is Neil Avenue. We have gone all through there, like looking for any sign of it. So where's this at? It just goes up to those woods and stops. Got the monuments up there. So this was a road at one time, for sure. This is definitely a structure, no and doubt about that. It's a foundation for sure. It's the wall square, not to be. The wall's falling in. But it's funny because we got here and we were saying, yeah, this is a good candidate. And I said, if only we could find his well. I said, because it said that he dug a well. And I looked over, I said, what's over there? Right afterwards, we walked over and there's a well. Oh, yeah. Look how black that is. Fire. That's exactly what you'd see like when you go to the uh, charcoal pit, the charcoal uh -huh. flats where they burn the charcoal for the forges. Yeah. It's right at the surface like that. That's ground. That's not rot. See, there's the rocks. Yeah. Yep, this is it. Different color. Yeah, yeah, it's brown. That's black, dead black. That's, there. that's it. Yeah. Or whatever structure was there burnt down. Yeah. I'd say that, that's the place. That's pretty definitive. You can't, and it's on the side of the hill. Yep. Charcoal doesn't deteriorate. Okay. It's a long time for charcoal to deteriorate. I don't know what I mean. That's why they find redness of fire like over a thousand years. Gotcha. So that's like when you go to forge areas in the show and you see where they burnt the uh, trees through charcoal. You can still see the the, the charcoal. Yeah. Flat. And it's right at the surface. All that heat just kills everything underneath it. That's why I tell you when you make fires to make new fires use existing fire rings. Which road that is? How the, I guess the only way to get in here is really to go the way we went, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless you want to trespass. Like, yeah, so I think we could probably cut across that way and get out a lot quicker, but. Like spots like this, that are like forgotten areas of the battlefield. Yeah. So in this next section, we went up the hill about a hundred yards above the cabin foundation. It's one of the only areas that John and I didn't check 
first Chad finds an old coffee pot. It's an old enamel coffee pot with the bottom rotted out of it that's kind of sitting on a, you know, dead tree or something. Like, Is it one of those, like, blue enamel ones? Or like? Yeah, I think so. Like, yeah. I asked him if there were initials on it. You know, maybe could have been the hermits. It's, it's old enough, but it, they also talk about tramps and stuff being mm-hmm. in the area. It could have been one of theirs. could have been anybody else's. But immediately after this, immediately after finding this coffee pot, we find the cave. This cave, someone stayed in. It's not a cave proper. It's a boulder that kind of fell down across some other boulders, making a, a you know, a cave, kind of a, a stone lean-to, but in a sense. But it's a cave. I would call it a cave. I think any any reporter would have called it a cave from the time. Interestingly enough, there's a gap on one side of this cave, which has been walled up by hand stacking stones to block the area, and even one area of this wall inside the cave still has mud packed in into the rocks. This is the work of a man. You know, this is mm-hmm. someone did this. It's stacked up. There is evidence of charcoal, again, in the cave. So someone had fires in there. There's evidence of smoke at places on the top of the rocks inside the cave, on the ceiling of the cave. There's evidence of candle or lantern smoke, smaller areas where he must have had candles or lanterns where smoke came up. When we walked around the other side of the cave, I looked down and there is a chimney built on the back side of the cave, a very rough chimney built of stone, but something that you could light a fire in the cave and have the smoke go up the chimney. It's still there. This is the cave in which he lived. I'm very, very confident of it. Somebody was spending some time in there. A long time ago, we found his cave. We found the foundation of his cabin, we found his well. We know where the Hermit of Wolf Hill lived. It's very exciting to me when research pans out. Pretty sure we found the cave they mentioned. Uh, Holy that's deep. <laughs> yeah, it goes back a good ways. Feel like going spelunking, Chad? You could definitely make a bed back in there. Sure. Holy 
Oh, there's an opening there. Yeah. Look at that. Any sign of habituation at all? This one looks well. It'd be hard to tell. Yeah. Unless he had a fire up near that opening, maybe. You probably see it on the rocks, I guess. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. This is a very good candidate for his cave. Though. Super good candidate. Yeah. It's a little darker right in there. See that? Yeah. And there, there's that. That's kind of sitting there, so it could go out that way. Yeah. So you close this end off. You put a fire right in there. You can stay warm in here. It's already about four or five degrees warmer. Just getting I in know. there. Yeah. Just getting out of the wind. Yeah. Those were laid up there. See that? Yep. Yeah. To block this, the wind this, a little this bit. This has to be it. This is yeah. That was all laid. Yeah, in he there. he packed it in. Look. Yeah. Yeah. That's not cracked away because that's it would shear away a right. bit differently. Yeah. Yeah, he packed that in up there. <laughs> and it's close to. So you live here and then build your house down there. Yeah. You want to be. You want to be. I figured it had to be close to the cabin. So he he had three. Res he he first came to a, and lived in a cave. They said a rocky cave. This would be a rocky cave. Yeah. And then he made it like a rude cabin after that, and then he made his more permanent cabin. Did he make the rude cabin where the permanent cabin sat? Or did he make the rude cabin here? I'm guessing he made the rude cabin maybe up against this. I'm not sure. Because I couldn't find a photo, but I found a, uh, a drawing in the one newspaper. Of the rude cabin? or of the And it's kind of at him at the, at the front of what looks to be like a door put on a cave, basically. Like, you know, it's hard to tell because it's just a drawing. But it looks it looks like there's rocks behind him that don't hit your head. I'm not. Shine your light over here. Just wonder if there's... if we can find any... little object or anything. I would, I, would I be... think we did. Where do you think that pot came from? Well, that's what... Yeah. That enamelware was pretty old. that. What, this? No. Right there. Where my light's on. This? No. The ground. Alright, now. Think, yeah. There's charcoal. See that? Okay. That's later. You can put a fire in the front, too. Yeah. To radiate it in. Yeah. Okay. This is it. This has to be it. Hey, look at this. Shine your lip. Ah. Yep, it's dark right there. These were stacked. Yep, they were definitely you stacked. You can see there. how that, that's perfectly placed across there. Yeah. And then these are put on top of there. Make a little shelf. Yeah. Yep, these were stacked. And you could probably, if you did right, you could put uh, logs and stuff across this, just that opening where the, the opening and the two rocks are, and make a, a cabin up here until you build your one down there. Yeah. Yeah, this is where you stay. Almost guaranteed. This is where it stays. Yeah. Cause that that's perfectly placed there. Yeah. To hold all that in. That came from in the back here. Yeah, this is a thousand percent stacked. I and mean, you look can at see that. That's laid pretty flat. 
he'd probably lay up in there. That's from, there's more blackness. That's probably from candles. See that? Oh, yeah. Or lanterns up in there. Yep. This is it. Well, that's cool. That's super cool. So, what we we are talking about here is uh, we came up a little bit further up the hill than uh, than John and I had come before, and there was some nice boulders, and found a little opening. And at first, we thought it was just like a little. A little cubby, but it's a cave. I mean, this is... That's the closest thing you're going to find to a cave. Yeah, that would meet the description of a rocky cave. And besides that, there's evidence of fire being inside. Both, uh, like Chad said, either candles or lanterns. And it looks like fire's on the ground at the entrance. So, you know, you wouldn't want to build it way back in there and choke yourself out. The way that flat rock is back in there, Mm -hmm. there's a piece of slate that's pretty flat that would be a good cooking surface or whatever I mean that, that's where you had it that's why that one opening is like that yeah but there's there's stones stacked up um, there's a little gap the way the, the one rock sits on the other that he's he's pretty much filled up with stones that, that could have collapsed some over the years could have been more filled up in the past but you can tell it's it's stacked along here this is heck yeah this is much nicer in here than it is out there this is where I'd set up. Yeah. And it tracks. It's close to the cabin. Yep. Right. But doesn't that look like a chimney? Huh? Doesn't that look like a chimney? Yeah. That's the side where I saw the other hole. Where that probably is where, yeah. Remember I said that that slab. Uh huh. That's probably is where he had his fire coming out, smoke coming out of there. Okay. We found. So I checked off every box as, re- as regards to this. The articles about this stuff. Well. Uh, Found the cave, and uh, once again, yeah. Herr, Herr Thomas, we're about to leave. If there's anything you'd like to show us, or present to us, or uh, oh, if you want to walk on through the trees yourself. Yeah, we are it's starting to the purple of uh, sunset. Yeah. Don't choose with an arrow. That is the Hermit of Wolf Hill, rocketed to the top of my hermit's list. (laughs) Herr Thomas, amazing. I'm so happy. I don't know if that's normal or not, to be that happy that we found his cabin, that we found his well, that we found the cave. But for me, super exciting and fun on site because all this research pans out. It's like I said, we were just checking these boxes.
there's the foundation, there's the well, there's the cave. We found it all. And articles are fairly accurate. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes yeah. the old articles aren't. So uh, Gettysburg Paper, kudos to you. Pretty accurate articles there. I don't know if 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can teach you to have your dog pull a cart. I'm absolutely sure they can. I mean, isn't that one of the things that they do with certain breeds of animals? Absolutely, yeah. And actually, I'm pretty sure they could do that. I'm just going to put that on the back burner in case we need it, if you know, to become hucksters with a dog cart selling yeah. wares. Sure. Yeah. Can you imagine like, like a little dog cart and all your old photos <laughs> hanging on it and kind of open it up and photos for sale <laughs> yeah that's how i talk usually when i'm selling photos <laughs> hey we got some photos for sale here you got to use your old-timey voice of course yeah when you're selling your old-timey photos and my name's bugsy then 90 days to the perfect puppy can help you with your puppy training needs whether it's pulling a dog cart or you know just having them not bite your shoes <laughs> exactly or for potty training or fear and nervousness barking crate training hyperactivity issues leash training mouthing and biting and more They can help you train your puppy. They can teach you what to do. And more importantly, what not to do. You can find 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy at sithappens.us. They have online sources like video lessons. They have a secret Facebook group, which is better than a not secret Facebook. (laughs) They have one-on-one options available. Let them help you understand how your dog thinks and apply proactive training methods so you and your puppy can become perfect for each other. Again, you can find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 days to the perfect puppy link at the top of the page. So as we're doing these Gettysburg episodes here, leading up to episode 300, I want to remind everybody that Strange Familiars episode 300 is available at our Etsy shop. Our shop name is Lost Grave. If you type in Strange Familiars, our stuff will come up. It's also available at the Stonebreath Bandcamp, stonebreath.bandcamp.com. It's a hardcover book. You buy the hardcover book, it comes with a woven patch and a sticker. You get a download of the audiobook podcast, kind of an audiobook podcast combination. If you'd like our on-site stuff, it's, some, it's a lot of on-site stuff there. It's a download of some music I did with it. The book is fully illustrated. Soraya came down and we did a follow-up podcast there. You get that as a bonus. All of that comes as a download. If you don't want the book for whatever reason, you can just buy the download. You can get that at stonebreath.bandcamp.com. That is episode 300. I hope everybody gets it. Super proud of it. As I say to our patrons, you will get episode 300 because we promise our patrons every episode you'll get the audio from it in about a year. We'll make that available to you. So if you want to wait, you can just wait and we will release the audio for episode 300 to our patrons in about a year. If you like the sound of that, you like the sound of extra content, and you want to help us keep making Strange Familiars, the way to do that is to become a patron at Patreon, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Check it out. There's different tiers of support there. No matter what tier of support you choose, you get extra content. We've been doing two full episodes of Strange Familiars every month, and we got more on-site from Gettysburg coming for a second patron episode this month. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. Again, that's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. And hey, it's time for the curiosity of the week. It's more owls, Allison. <laughs> These are snowy owls. 
Oh, I love them. <laughs> the snowy owls, uh, I think this year they said that they came down to Pennsylvania. They came down as far south as Pennsylvania. You could have seen snowy owls this year. I did not see a snowy owl this year. I haven't given up hope yet. What does that say in the back? Does it say strange house or strange horde or what is it? It says, um, I think. Maybe it's the genus or something. Strang house. Strang house. Hmm. Why does it say that? I don't know. I guess that says house or hauser. Strange house. Allison, I don't know why these people <laughs> write things in the back of Stereo Views. Last week's Stereo View had a bunch of math on the back. I don't know if this because was paper... written by the publisher of the Stereo View. Sometimes they put notes on them or if this was part of a collection or what. Maybe it's where the owls were housed. It could have been. It absolutely could have been. I think I might have one more Stereo View of owls, mm-hmm. but... It's got some other things on it, too. It's got owls and other things on it as well. This is just straight owls. This is straight owls, and this might be this might be my last owl stereo view, at least for a while. I'm sure we'll turn up more. But the owl stereo views are very popular. So grab this one up if you want it, the snowy owls. If you want this, you can go to the show notes under this episode at strangefamiliars.com. You'll see an image of this. You can click on it. It'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can purchase this. Also at Etsy, my books, if you want signed copies of my books, all of my books are there. Artwork, original art, and prints are available there. We've got the traditional, we'll call them the traditional, the original Strange Familiars t-shirts with the Awoken Tree design. Old photos, Allison's added a bunch of old photos there, and much, much more. Again, our shop name is Lost Grave, but if you type in Strange Familiars, you'll see our stuff come up. While you're on Etsy, check out Chad's shop, Ruck Rabbit Outdoors. And check out our friends at Karmic Garden. They are always adding new stuff, but they have the Strange Familiars and Flannel Man scents there. One more reminder before we go to pre-order your Strange Familiars High Strangeness Tour shirts if you want one. I always feel bad when people are disappointed. They say, oh, I really wanted a mug or, oh, I really wanted the keychain. Some of these things we make in limited batches because we can't afford to make an endless amount of them. These shirts are what, three-color prints, we can't afford to make a lot of these. So the best way to make sure you get one is to pre-order it. I don't want anybody to be disappointed. So strangefamiliars.com, look for the High Strangeness Tour shirt. You can pre-order at that link until February 27th. And then we will shut down pre-orders and... Get them made. We will order the shirts, and then we will order extra shirts and sweatshirts, a few, to put on Etsy. But if you want... To guarantee you get one, or if you have a, an extended size and you want to guarantee you get one in your size, please pre-order. Thanks to everyone who has pre-ordered them so far. I think we can call this a success. I'm happy we did them. I'm super excited for this design. So. You basically do all this because you will want one. Oh, yeah, I totally will. <laughs> yes. I'm, well, I'm going to get two for myself. So when I wear one out, you know, I will. You'll mess it up. Definitely. Somehow. Yeah. On site, stuff gets torn up, thorns, crawling in hermit caves, falling in hermit wells. <laughs> Oh, one more thing about that. There's no cap on that well out there. If you go to look for this area that we talked about, be very careful. Don't go at night without knowing where you're going. That well is deep. Uh, Chad probed the well with a stick. It is, he didn't find the bottom. It's deep. You don't want to fall in that well. There's no cap on it. So be very careful if you go looking for this. And I would advise kind of don't. (laughs) <laughs> kind of just, don't. just don't just take our word for it yeah. out there yeah we do this so you don't have to all right thanks for listening everybody we'll be back soon 
with another episode of Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. If you want to hear some more Stone Breath or purchase music, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com, where The Witch Cloud is also available. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. You can join the Strange Familiars gathering group there. We are on Instagram. Go ahead and follow us, at strangefamiliars, one word. And you can find us on the web at strangefamiliars.com. flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.